Good morning. Merry Christmas. I won't ask you if you're ready for Christmas, but I will ask you, are you excited for Christmas? Have you found your Christmas spirit? Might I suggest, if you haven't, to head on down to the children's Sunday school classrooms. There you will find dozens and dozens of children simply exploding with anticipation. They just can't take it any longer. Christmas Day is the day they have been waiting for all year long. And if they play their cards right, if they do all their chores, if they're kind to their siblings and their classmates, follow all the rules, then maybe, just maybe, they'll get that thing they asked for. Donna Gilchrist is a member of our church. She has been a faithful Sunday school teacher for over 15 years. I know, that's a wonderful thing, isn't it? We love her. She's mainly taught first grade. She once told me the story of a young boy who comes into her classroom the Sunday before Christmas. And he seems a bit stressed out, like something is weighing heavily on his mind. He goes up to her and he says, Mrs. Gilchrist, I need you to pray for me. She says, well, yes, of course I will. What's going on? He said, I only have three more days to be good. I think I can do it, but will you pray for me? Because it's hard sometimes. You can relate, can't you? It's hard sometimes to be good, especially so many days in a row. But any kid will tell you that there is great joy in receiving a gift that you ask for for Christmas. But as adults, we've learned a new truth, haven't we? The older we get, the more we realize there's even more joy to be had by giving gifts. We try to teach these things to our children. I have four young kids at home, and I have learned through that that it is a process to get joy out of giving presence. There's some baby steps to it. It first starts off looking something like this. They say, hey, Mom, I'm really excited about getting you a gift this Christmas. I said, oh, that's sweet. He said, can I have some money to get you the gift for Christmas? And you're like, okay, sure. And they go and buy you a gift. They wrap it up. And you open it on Christmas morning to find that they have given you their favorite action figure. Their favorite Lego set. As I've said, it is a process, and we will be patient as they learn how to joyfully give. Now, there are gifts that we want, and then there are gifts that we need. Today, I want to talk about some of those gifts, gifts that we need. And we are going to be looking at two characters in Scripture, two characters that are very important in the Christmas story. We're going to be talking about Zachariah and Mary. But before we open our Bibles, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we dive into your scriptures, as we dive into your word, may our hearts be moved by your teachings so that the things that are important to you become important to us. Amen. Okay, we are going to be reading from the Gospel of Luke today. Luke chapter 1. The first two characters brought up in the Gospel of Luke are Zechariah and his wife, Elizabeth. Now, in verse 6, Luke says that both of them were upright in the sight of God, 
observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. That's quite a compliment, isn't it? I'd like to have that be said about me. I don't know if you could. And then verse 7, he goes on to explain that Zechariah and Elizabeth have never been able to have children. He also explains that Zechariah is a priest, and he sets up the story by explaining that today is a big day for Zechariah. At the time, there are thousands of priests, and they all take turns on different days to do different tasks and duties and rituals. Today is a big day for Zechariah because he gets to enter into the temple of God. This doesn't happen all the time. In fact, it could be the first time Zechariah gets to do this. So he's feeling all the feels, right? He's probably excited. He's nervous. He can't wait. It is inside this temple, when he is close to the most holy place, burning incense, that the angel Gabriel comes to visit Zechariah. He brings him great news. He says, you and your wife are going to have a baby, a son, and you're going to name him John. He will bring you great delight. And many people will rejoice in his birth. The angel then goes on to say, Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now, because we know that Zechariah is a priest, we know he is very well educated in Hebrew scripture. So Zechariah knows the importance of the angel's words. He knows that this is a fulfillment of a prophecy given hundreds of years ago, that a prophet will come and lead the way to the long-awaited Messiah. And here, the angel is telling Zechariah that that prophet, that prophet is going to be his son. This is great news indeed. So, how does our well-educated, knowledgeable, described as loyal, obedient, and faithful priest, how does he respond to such news? Well, here it goes. In verse 18, he says to the angel, How can I be sure of this? For, for I am an old man. My wife, she is old too, we're well beyond the years of having children. Are you sure that you know our circumstances? <laughs> the, the angel in verse 19 says, well, I, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I have been sent here to tell you this good news. And mind you, I'm paraphrasing. He looks at Zechariah and he says, you've got to be kidding me, right? I'm not a sign. I'm not enough of a sign to you. He says, I tell you what, Zechariah, I tell you what we're going to do. I think it's time for you to take a step back. I think it's time for you to turn your voice off and stand in the quiet. I think it's time for you to see and wait and watch what God can do. Despite your doubts, despite your circumstances, I find this story actually to be quite encouraging. <laughs> For one, because, man, even the faithful priests have moments of doubt. 
if you find yourself in a season of doubt, know you're not alone. It happens to the best of us. And in our seasons of doubt, in our quiet, just like Zechariah, we can learn something. For Zechariah, it was the gift of a lesson learned. For a whole nine months and approximately eight days, he didn't say anything. He just watched. He watched God work in his life. He does get to speak again. He speaks when his son is named John in the temple. And the first words that come out of his mouth are a song. The scripture describes it as Zachariah's song. It is praise for God, for his faithfulness. I like this story because it, te- it teaches us all something. That, that sometimes doubt is not a dead end, but a fresh turn in the road. In this case, doubt is not the end of Zachariah's faith. He uses his doubt as a stepping stone that brings him closer to a stronger relationship with God. That same hope can be given to you today if you're in a season of doubt. May you take some time in the silence to just watch and wait and see that all that God is doing in your life despite your doubts and circumstances. The next person we're going to talk about is Mary, mother of Jesus. Now, the way Luke sets up this story, the way Luke writes the story, the reader can't help but compare the two, Zachariah and Mary. Both are greeted by the same angel, Angel Gabriel. Both are told of these miracle babies that are going to come. But unlike our priest, Zechariah, Mary has a different response to the angel. After she hears she's going to be the mother of the son of the Most High, her last response to the angel is this. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Clearly, her response is a much more faith-filled response obviously. But it's not just a faithful response. It's a very brave response. Because the situation that Mary's in, to be with child outside of wedlock, that's a dangerous position to be in. By law, she could be killed. At worst, she could be stoned to death. At best, she will be shamed and isolated from her community. It was a very brave thing for her to say. One of the last things that the angel tells her is to go visit her cousin Elizabeth because she too is going to have a miracle baby. And so the next verse, verse 39, says that at the time Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea. That's where Elizabeth lives. Notice she hurried there. Scriptures don't tell us whether or not she told her family about the situation she found herself in. We don't know if she told it before or after she came back from her trip. But either way, you know it was on her mind as she was traveling. And she would have had a lot of time to think about it. Because the trip from Nazareth to Judea is like 70 miles. It would have taken days and days for her to get there. I often wonder, did she have a speech prepared? (laughs) 
to try to explain what has happened to her. We don't know. We don't know because something else happens, Scripture tells us. As soon as Elizabeth hears Mary's voice, hears her greeting at the door, Scripture says that she is filled with the Holy Spirit, and she runs to Mary, and she says this. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. <laughs> so much is going on in this passage. It's a peculiar thing to do what she does. Because Mary, being a young woman, coming into the honorable house of Elizabeth, her older cousin, traditionally she would be the one to honor Elizabeth. And here, Elizabeth is honoring Mary. We could also talk about the fact that even in the womb, John the Baptist is celebrating Jesus. That they're already, their ministries are already tied together before they're even born. But instead, I want us to just look at Mary and the gift she receives in this moment. Mary receives a gift that we all need at some point in our lives. She receives the gift of someone who would understand. She isn't alone in this process. She stays with Elizabeth for three months, nurtured by her, her nurturing Elizabeth. They have each other. They're given the gift of someone who would understand. What can we learn from this? Well, I believe it helps us remember that everyone longs for a safe place with safe people. We all need that. And maybe this coming year, this new year ahead of us, may we intentionally look for times to be that safe place, to be that safe person for someone. Are there parts in your story, experiences that you've had, that if you shared it with someone you knew, it would help them feel less alone? If so, do it. What a precious gift you could give someone for them to not feel alone. Now we'll move on to our final gift. Yes. Have you noticed ever that the gifts that we need, sometimes we're not aware that we need them? <laughs> Until a certain situation puts it center stage and you realize it's something that you need. I had an experience like that many years ago at a baseball game when I was a teenager. When I was in middle school, the Disney movie Angels in the Outfield came out. I loved that movie. It was a really cool movie. And living in Southern California meant that I could actually go to Angels baseball games. So I did. I went all the time. I loved it. On this particular day, I went with my church. The church had obviously bought some cheap group tickets. I know this because we were way up at the top. Has that ever happened to you, where you see, like, this big group of people, and then there's, like, no one near them? <laughs> that was us. <laughs> we were way up high. No one was around us. It was fine, though. We were having a great time. We were just happy to be there. One of the people who attended the game was a boy, a young boy, about four years old, named William. He was new to our church family. 
he had come to live with his grandmother because his mother had recently passed away. And with his father never in the picture, he came to live with his grandmother who went to our church. I knew William pretty well because I volunteered in the nursery and in preschool classes when I was a teenager. He was a sweet little boy. He didn't cause any trouble. But I would also describe him as a sad little boy. He didn't really play with other kids. He would kind of just take his toys and go to a corner and play by himself. But today, at the baseball game, he looked like a completely different kid. He was so excited. His eyes were alive. He was just bouncing in the seat. I went over to say hi to him. Hey, William, how you doing? Oh, I'm good, Rachel. I'm so excited to be here. That's great, William. He said, Have you ever been to a game before? Nope. This is my first one. Said, well, that's great. He goes, yeah, and you know what else? I'm going to catch a ball. I even brought my mitt. I said, oh, well, that's great. Um, he goes, yeah, uh, I can't really talk to you any longer because i got to keep my eyes on the game. i got to see where the ball is going to go. I said, okay. He's like, bye. You know, shoes me away. Oh, in like two seconds, I got so nervous for William. I got really upset because I'd been to enough games to know that he was not going to catch a ball. I had tried to catch a ball every game, and it wasn't, I didn't even come close to it. You can even look up the odds on Google. If you go to Google and say, what are the odds that you'll catch a foul ball at a baseball game? Google says you have a 1 in 580 chance to catch a ball. I even think that is pretty generous, because I don't know if Google is considering where you're placed in the stadium. And where we were placed, we were not going to catch a ball. I go and I, I sit down and I look over at my dad. I said, Dad, we got a problem. William thinks he's going to catch a ball. And my dad says, oh yeah, because I told him he was. What? He goes, yeah, I told him to bring his men. I said, he's going to catch a ball. Now, you need to understand that my father is a very trustworthy, loving man. So this seems very much out of his character. Clearly, he did not think about this. William has gone through enough. Why would he ever give him hope in such a hopeless situation? Of course, I didn't say those things to my dad. But I did give him the look. You know the look that every teenager masters? The one where they look at their parent and say, you know nothing. And I know everything. What are you thinking? It must have been a pretty good look because I think my dad understood what was going through my mind. He puts his hand on my shoulder and he says, Rachel, don't worry about it. I've got a plan. Just sit back and watch and see what I've got for him. By the seventh inning stretch, William had not caught a ball. Surprise, surprise. But my father had disappeared. He had left for a while. I turn around and look and see that he's in the tunnel, in the entrance, and he has a bag with him. He's gone to the gift shop. I see him pull out a brand new baseball, take it out of the packaging. And then I watch him take that ball, and he scrapes it up against the brick to make it look old and used. And then he throws away the packaging and he sticks the ball in his jacket pocket. 
And he comes back and he sits down. And then he waits. He waits for just the right moment. And the moment comes. A player hits the ball hard enough that poor William, his four-year-old eyes, he can't follow where that ball went. And he's kind of looking around. And my dad takes the ball out and he throws it into the empty bleachers near William. And he yells, William, there's a ball. Go get it. It's right over by you. William pops up and he runs over to try to find it. By now, everybody in the church that's there has caught on to what's going on. We're all cheering, William, get the ball. We're standing up. William comes up, he stands up, and he holds the ball up. He says, I got it, I got the ball. (laughs) We all cheered for him, we acted, I mean, it was as if he had won the World Series. We were so excited for him. He got the ball. Weeks later, his grandmother will tell us that he slept with that ball for weeks. It meant so much to him. I think about that story a lot this time of year. I think about that story because I see a glimpse of the Christmas story in it. I picture all of us, all of humanity, like William, looking out at this big world, wondering, maybe, just maybe, we'll be lucky enough to catch some real love, some real meaning and value in this world. Maybe we'll be lucky enough. We have hopeful eyes. Some of us think, well, maybe if even if we place ourselves in the right place in life, if we get the right status, if we get the box seats, maybe we'll have an even better chance. And all the while, while we're wrapped up in our doubts and our circumstances, God comes to us. No matter where we are in life, God comes to us and he places love in our hands, in our grasp. Despite doubts and circumstances, God comes to us. For us, we all receive the gift of love's intervention. We learn that God's love is nothing if not powerful, the ability to break through. It is not passive It is not indifferent. It has the ability to bring hope to the hopeless. What does it reveal to us about God? That nothing can separate us from the love of God. Amen? May we drench ourselves in that truth. And through it, may our souls finally feel their worth. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are so moved by your teachings. We are humbled by the gifts that you give us. And we are so very grateful. God, like Zachariah and like Mary, may we sing our own songs to you. May we sing songs of praise for your faithfulness. In all things we give you praise. Amen.